You're tuned in to the MTGG Cable Cast, 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 where they cover Magic, the Gathering Finance. All right? You don't know about it? You're tuned in right now and get ready to learn some shit. Buckle your seatbelts and light a blunt and get ready for the MTG Cable Cast, 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 starring Reptar and Thirsty, them onion head motherfuckers. Alrighty, guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabalcast, and this week we're going back to take a look at Hasbro's stock, look at the overall performance of the company that owns, operates, and is running Wizards of the Coast into the ground. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's been some strange things going on recently with the stock, which we'll touch on with some put options. We've had some more downgrading, some traffic, and of course, obviously, the big thing is the D&D movie just came out, which if you paid attention to any of the calls, was going to be the saving grace for Wizards of the Coast and Hasbro and make their year. Or so they thought. But let's take it away. Yep. So uh, there's a Reddit thread posted about a month ago just titled Hasbro Stock in MTG Finance that kind of prompted this action. Yeah. And it basically said, like, hey, if you look at Hasbro Stock, it's reaching its all-time low for the last five years. And went on to say basically that, like, even through the lows of COVID, et cetera, this is... Uh, the lowest it's been in a very long time, and we'll bring that up really quick. And you can kind of see this trending downward line from yeah. a plateau in 2021 and 2022, just effectively straight into the ground over the last couple of months as things basically, like you said, get downgraded, and we just see kind of the organization hemorrhage uh, money. Yeah. And in the Q 2023 Q1 investors call, there was discussion about loss of revenue, the uh, dip in dividends by a couple cents, uh, equating to a fair percentage point. And this is a, a quote from Chris Cox on that call. We are capitalizing on a fantastic entertainment slate, including Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves in March, and exciting new product launches. And then the rest of the statement goes on to say that we're facing... Uh, a bad consumer environment and 300 million in losses. So we're excited to shed those brands and really excited to push on the D and D franchise and see what we can do with this movie and this universe. Yeah. And that happens in February, right around the middle, about the 16th is when everything summated. So earnings call happens a little earlier than that. And then Things just kind of sail along through February. It just kind of uh, trucks along where you would expect it when you look at the graph. The investors call does cause a little bit of alarm, and there is a small downturn in stock prices, but it's yeah. not that large when the price is already this low. So it dips down to like 47 from 49, essentially, Yeah. after the call. And then the marketing slate for the D&D movie kicks off. And we can see a turning point in the stock on March 14th. Basically, the Ides of March started to uh, show ominous things. And we see the stock creep up and up and up, day after day after day, outperforming the market on the whole with gains up until yep. the tipping point, which is the release weekend. And during this time, uh, you found an, an article on a bar chart that noted at the end of March there was a mysterious put option placed on this stock. Yeah, and it was with 114 days to expire. Uh, so this is like June-ish is when it's set to expire. 
and basically the put is you know we're going to be between we're going to strike between 4250 and 4750 uh with the current value at 5115 obviously you know person realizes this is untenable this is not an amount of growth that you can really keep with mm-hmm. uh now specifically it doesn't say if we were going if we were shoring up with the short term or long term put what was going on there but it's a lot of stocks moving yes uh and the interesting thing is that while this has been going on, if you monitor like transactions at the corporate level, again, still none of the C-level executives at Hasbro have bought more stock in their own company, uh, despite all of them touting to every shareholder in every meeting, we believe in our product, we believe in the stock, we believe it's going well. Well, I, Look, if I'm Elon Musk and I believe in Tesla because I, everyone tells me I'm amazing, I'm going to spend more money on Tesla to get more stocks to make myself worth more money. Mm-hmm. I just believe in the product. That's the best way to grow your wealth because you are directly having input in that product. And if you believe in it, naturally, that value grows. Still not happening. And some mysterious investor also says, I call your bullshit. I don't think this growth is remotely tenable mm-hmm. whatsoever. Uh, so it's it, it'll be interesting to see what happens. But it was just something that was worth noting because usually something like that is viewed as abnormal and that clearly was especially for a stock that's not trading on the level of like amazon or apple or anything like that for such a large option to go forward seemed a little strange um and i i think part of it is you know at least why this person may be thinking that is honestly look at the ips that hasbro has left what can you really do with them there, what can you milk out of these cows that you haven't already gotten? They're, uh, which they're looking to branch out and and partner. Uh, so they partnered with High Res. Um, the third one was just announced, and they are allowing, or rather, licensing their IPs to High Res for skins for their characters in the game Smite. So we had Transformers, we just had Magic the Gathering, and yep. announced today is gi joe yeah because that's a property people still care about in the year 2023 and they're not even licensing like notable joes they're licensing notable cobras but they're not really like aside from um snake eyes nobody else is really notable yeah that's it um and then yeah it's just some kids brands floating around they have a mlp still they have potato head to board games monopoly yeah uh, star wars marvel are like the other ips and those do well as long as the movie universes the cinematic universes they're doing well doing well and yeah right now star wars is in a bit of a tailspin and the last marvel movie is in the red by a lot ant-man and the wasp quantumania is in the red by a lot right now yeah and so things are Thus, things are not looking good for, or will not look good for the Marvel line in the future. Yeah. And so uh, this put happens, like, at oh. the end of the month. So we see the the stock turns. It begins to outperform, like I said, from the 14th onward compared to the rest of the market. And at some point in time, somebody says, like, you noted, hey, this is untenable for your stock. We've never seen precedented growth like this, and I doubt that it's going to hold. And yeah. That drops on the 39th, that article does. And then we head into release weekend for D&D Honor Among Thieves. 
and I will bring up the last, let's see, five days. Does that give us what we want? Boy. Yeah, so when we take a look at this, we're going to see all the way on the left, the high point is the is the weekend. And from here, everything just kind of flows downward, just trending. I want to say, as you would expect from Hasbro stock, it just comes cratering back down after this meteoric rise into the a movie weekend. Because while it was acclaimed critically and by audiences, from a box office standpoint, this thing is not doing well. It's just not putting a lot of butts in seats. So uh, from the Hollywood Reporter, the this is one of the quotes that I found pretty interesting. <clears throat> the big budget movie based on Hasbro's fantasy tabletop game came in ahead of expectations, but will still need strong legs throughout April and May in order to launch a new movie franchise for Paramount and E1 after costing $150 million to produce before marketing. Okay. So there are a couple of points we'll get to later. The most immediate one is, is that this movie costs $150 million to produce before marketing. Now, a movie's budget is two distinct elements. There is the cost to produce, which is $150 million, and then marketing, and the rule of thumb for that is you just double the production budget. So let's say $300 million plus or minus a couple percent. All right? So now we have an operating cost of $300 million on this movie. Look, uh, additionally, from The Hollywood Reporter, this is some box office information. Overseas, the movie debuted to $33 million from 60 territories, representing 83% of the international market for a global bow of $71.5 million. So we are now at $71 million out of 300 on this movie after opening weekend and if you do a little research it's most immediate competitor going into release weekend was john wick which had been out for been out for a couple weeks the super meyer brothers movie comes out the week after the week we are recording this and then we have what did you what did you note you found um there's another marvel movie coming out guardians oh yeah three yeah Renf- guardians three in like a week Renfield, the nicholas cage dracula thing is coming out Bo is Afraid, the new Fast and the Furious, I guess, number 30 or whatever we're on. There's just a ton. Like, this is, this feels like the classic summer blockbuster season, which is great, except that, you know what, Dungeons and Dragons will never be a blockbuster. blockbuster. So it's just going to kind of fall into nothingness, I think, in a pretty short order, which is really damning when you look at Chris Chris Cox's statement of basically saying, like, we're using D&D to write the ship. Or we're using yeah. this movie to write the ship. It just does not seem like things are going to go really well coming out of this. Um, if you do follow movie box office projections and uh, international markets, one of the strongest ones is usually almost always mainland China. And unless China makes up 17%, the rest of the missing piece, we're not going to see uh, a, a huge chunk of change come in. Uh, in this past week that is the data that we're missing is what's happened from uh, opening weekend until the date we are recording and i do not expect a hundred uh 229 million to roll in and the other thing is when it comes to some international markets going back to china which is one of the strongest ones there is a little bit of a rub when it comes to some cultural snafus and if you've seen any of the trailers for this movie there is a scene where they're just digging up bodies and if I remember correctly, Skeletons in Media is a Correct. no mas 
for yes. for China. So that means either those scenes have to be cut or reshot, re-edited, etc. And I don't want to say that and have people think, well, oh, that'll never happen, when in reality they've already done that for this movie a little bit. Yeah. Um, it was noted by a number of people uh, in Australia that in that scene in particular, a member of the sketch comedy troupe, Auntie Donna, did a voiceover for one of those skeletons, and that is not anywhere else outside that region. Yep. Right. So there's a there's already been some some legwork done to make this a little more appealing in region. Maybe that's a thing, but I really doubt we're going to get the extra two hundred and like thirty plus million in the next couple of weeks out of this movie. Now, the other big point in this is there is a Paramount series that is going to be p- picked up about this this was announced in january of 2023 and it is in collaboration with ewan a division that hasbro is trying to sell off yeah right so they announced that they were trying to get rid of it the polygon noted that even during that time they were shopping both e1 and this property paramount picked up the property and they're going to run with it and it is very curious to see what happens here with this we we don't have any more details about when it's supposed to come through but again this is going to be another notable expense on both ends both paramount and hasbro and can lead to another just big loss for this company if they can't get rid of e1 if they can't just instead decide to license their ips yeah which you would think would just be a cakewalk but for some reason they just can't figure it out yep no idea. No, all the details about what's going on and the names attached to the series at Paramount seem pretty decent. Uh, if you want to go check out the article, we'll have it linked. But at the end of the day, if the product falls flat at the box office and production hasn't started, is this even going to be a win for anyone, considering the fact that it might just die on the vine? And yeah, that is kind of TBD. Remember the Netflix Magic series we were supposed to get? R.I.P. Yep. Wherever you are. Exactly. R.I.P. That went nowhere fast. Tragic. And that is Hasbro's most perf- most highly performant brand. Yeah. Uh, by by their admission, in every call. Yeah. That's what it is, and I I think it's worth. I, the interesting thing to me is that despite the fact that it is your most marketable brand, mm-hmm. that it is the brand you are most trying to parse out into all of these other forms of media you do have this company e1 or had whatever various stages something right now you still have it you still have it as an in you can absolutely go to e1 and say hey let's make this a thing since we're doing it with D and try to monetize this brand and maybe get in new players because correct me if i'm wrong we haven't heard anything about new players in a while other than just increased revenue on arena, which they occasionally attribute to new players. new players. Who knows? Correct. I would think that once we get a full OP cycle in, meaning we get worlds, we'll start hearing announcements about new players because they can finally say, hey, we put together that funnel again, and now it makes sense for people. Yeah. Um, I think we stopped hearing about new players right around the time that like that vision via arena kind of yeah. fell off. They were like, oh, I don't know. Maybe. Do we really care? Yeah. Nah. Okay. Cool. Go back to whatever you were doing. Yep. Yeah, for sure. And that'll be that'll be interesting to see overall. And we have we should have the Q two call coming up in the next month or two. 
I believe so, yes. And in that, there should definitely be an address about what's going on with the Dungeons & Dragons property, which is not overall a bad property to execute on because it no. is pretty high fantasy. It's easy for people to, to grok. You yeah. don't need a lot of uh, exposition to really get things going. You just have to understand you're here to see an actual fantasy thing. You know, yep. People want to go see Lord of the Rings without reading any of the source material. They'll, they'll go see a D&D movie and be fine with it. Yeah. So. But uh, I, I will say one thing that I think is important about the D&D series uh, when you talk about people that are attached to it. So E1, mm -hmm. uh, prior to us doing this, I did a little research because the article says it will be the largest property E1 has ever dealt with or the largest undertaking, basically. Yeah. Uh, the only show they have that's like of great note is the rookie with Nathan Fillion and then designated survivor, which lasted like two seasons or something right off of the success of 24. So personally, I don't have a whole lot of confidence that they're going to be able to deliver a good product. If this ever actually happens and yeah. it's not like the magic series, which is who knows, uh, but it, it will be interesting to see, especially as I think, you know, we've kind of moved past the point where people care about the Alta Fox stuff. Yep. It, it's not a talking point anymore for them. And I, I think it should be. But I think that if we continue to see brand mismanagement like this, I mean, I would expect it to come back. There's no way it doesn't, right? No. It has to. Yeah. I, I was going to ask what you think about, you know, because I'm we're going to catch up with the stock again in the next investor call what you would think if Hasbro finally shed E1, and I think that lends itself to the AltaFox conversation, which is just, you had E1, you did what you wanted to with it, you were, while you were shopping it, so you tried to at least get something out of it, you were able to shop it, or you weren't, and then what happens? And if they don't, if they decide to stop shopping it because the D&D movie didn't do that badly, it puts them in the red, but not yeah. that badly, then yeah, maybe, maybe you, uh, maybe you keep it and things go well. And the Alta Fox conversation comes back of like, you just actually completely mismanaged the brand using yeah. an, an element of the organization. You were actively trying to shop, like nothing about this was good. You should have just shopped it both the IP and the org. And then literally some, any of it, please yeah, let somebody else deal with it. Or people just don't care anymore and it's fine. The other thing is, like, movies are weird, right? And I said right, like, you know what I'm going to say. Um, <laughs> was it Paramount did the release for this? There's an amount of insurance you can take out on a movie, and that's one of the reasons why the marketing budget is double production, because the expectation is that at some point along the line, all these production companies are actually just shells yeah, uh, with, with an insurance firm tied in. So you claim your movie was a loss. And you recoup the cost of everything, production, marketing, everything. So you actually end up making whatever it is at the box office, like that ridiculous gross and the money back on the movie. So you actually spend nothing to make movies. And if you want, if you don't quite understand, because I can't explain this that well because it's nested, go look up uh, the Harry Potter movies. And according to the studios, how much money those things made and the insurance claims on those. Because according to that, none of those Harry Potter movies made a goddamn dollar. Yeah. Bullshit. None of them. Yeah. Bullshit. Yeah. And if I had to guess, 
those movies floated Warner Brothers for much longer than was necessary. Yeah. But hey, we're rebooting again as a TV show. Yeah, sure. Whatever. And then, but there it, there does exist the opportunity for this to be a fine write-off for E1. I, like, I, I, I yeah. don't know. I, that might come up in the investor call, and they're like, hey, what did you do with E1? Was a D&D movie? It was a loss on that. And Hasbro comes back with, well, you know how movie insurance goes. Her, 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 her. Got him. Yeah, exactly. And so maybe it's fine. It's just 71 mil on top, right? Yeah. Uh, not quite sure about that. Could be a thing that comes up. <clears throat> and at that point in time, then maybe the Alta Fox conversation isn't relevant to bring, you know, yeah. come back around to this, right? But if they're still in the red after this, the next investor call happens. They announce that. And there's just the wide open statement of like, we have no idea what's going on anymore. We are completely off the rails. Then yeah, the Alpha Fox thing's got to come back hundred percent. Yeah. Please. Yeah. Please. That was a, a, f a four minute diatribe and ramble. <laughs> That's all right. Um, yeah, I, I just E1. I, I forgot this was an E1 production. And when I saw the, the logo before the movie, it, it very much surprised me. I was like, Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah that's right. They still own this thing. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, sure do. Yep, exactly. And then uh, next week we'll catch up about the movie and discuss it a little bit, especially in regards to uh, OpenGL and how that kind of shook out and what. How yeah. Wizards responding in, I don't want to say a reasonable way, but in a positive way to a brand crisis uh, may have actually led them to make money because a lot of people were ready to boycott this movie when all the OGL stuff was coming out. They were just like, nope, absolutely not. Will not touch it. Will not see it. So so we will get to that next week. Uh, anything else you want to touch on before we head into picks? Uh, no, I think okay. that's good. All right. So uh, I'm going to go first this week because my pick's doing some weird stuff. Okay. Now, uh, for, for the past couple of weeks, I've been looking at big, dumb EDH cards, and I'm still looking at EDH cards, but this time we're going small. And I'm going back on my bullshit, and we're going with the uh, Enchantress themes. So uh, I've had God set this Harvest Hand on my pick list for a very long time. It's been on here um, for all, yeah. over a year now. Um, CK was buying 207 at $1.30 in, in 2022, uh, April 5th. And there were 280 at 208 on TCG at LP or better. Uh, as of taking my notes for Sithis Harvest Hand, CK was buying zero at zero. Imagine that. And they were buying one set foil for $1.75. There were <laughs> 333 listings on TCG Player for $1.21. So why are we looking at Sethis? Well, with the odd timing for spoilers, we got Tom Bombadil from the Lord of the Rings set. And Tom Bombadil works with sagas that's that's just what that card does tom bombadil and sagas sagas they're a tale as old as time but we're also getting a little bit more infusion of some some enchantress odds and ends which puts a little more pressure on these cards especially a year after six months after so 18 months like the the end of like events for modern horizons too people just kind of forgot about it and now we're seeing traction on a lot of this stuff uh, like jukai naturalist the uncommon I think is actually worth more than Sithis Harvest Hand right now. Uh, what's the other one? Um, Sanctum Weaver is picking back up. I picked that card forever yep. ago. And now is the time for Sithis Harvest Hand. <clears throat> so I said CK was buying zero at zero. Well, after a really long downturn on their buy list, they're finally buying some more. And they're buying this time 100 at 8 cents. 
or it's not eight cents, eighty cents. Woo. Exactly. They're still only buying one set foil though, so beware. Uh, their numbers on the showcase art not that great, so we're just sticking with set art, and it's the one I've been watching this entire time. So when we look at Sithis, and we see this Enchantress, that could be your commander. Well, when you actually take a look at how people play this card, it's not actually as a commander. <clears throat> it exists in the 99. That's where the majority of this card sees, or the majority of the people play this card. It is only at the helm of about 9,000 decks, but it's in 34,000 decks as a card. And, like I said, when we take a look at Rex, who's the new commander? It's Tom Bombadil. But when we take a look at the top commanders, we see the same rogues gallery that we'd seen before. A bunch of stuff from New Capenna. We have some gods. We have an angel or two. Estrid, which is going to be there forever for some reason. Gabriel, angel fire is always an option, which I don't yep. understand. And then I guess a weird Thematic. build. Probably. And then a weird build of Corona False God, and I'm not digging into that. Along with what comes out in March of the Machines, we do get a new Heliod. We get uh, Elish Nord and Jingataxis that fit into uh, decks because a lot of people like playing this with Ban outside of um, Selesnia. We also have Vorinclex. Oddly enough, also the One Ring is showing up. Eh, TBD on that one. So, in regards to the format on the whole, when we look at this in the 99, this basically is a fine wine. It gets better with age, but not as a commander, more as a role player. And the last big push was Kamigawa, Neon Dynasty, with the Shrine Synergy. Now we have Tom Bombadil. And we're finally setting into March of the Machine hype, which lends several cards to the 99 of various enchantment-centric decks. It's not just a Selesnia, it's not just a Bant, it, it's it's everything. And the importance... Oh, sorry. Um, at this point, Sethus has cemented itself as a cornerstone of the like Enchantress effect, after some tentative experimentation, and at this point, the only reason I would expect to not see this in an enchantment or aura-based deck is because it's not running. That deck is not running both green and white. You know, for whatever reason, you're in Xur, right? That's Esper. And you can't play Sithis there, but I would expect this to be in every green and white-based enchantment deck. Yeah. Uh, the, the importance of the quote-unquote Enchantress suite and commander is the same as it was in Constructed, and that is Velocity. Without this sweet, a deck loses Velocity and the ability to make it back into a game after a sweeper. The life gain on Sithis itself is nice, but largely unnecessary. It's the card draw that we're after. The original en Summon Enchantress, that's kind of the joke about which one is it, Verduran Enchantress, right? <laughs> Yes, I believe so. Yeah, the creature type on it is just Entra yes. Enchantress. So when you read yep. the original, it just says Summon Enchantress. Then you have Enchantress's Presence and a, and a bunch of other homage-based cards to it. Yeah. That's the suite. That's what they do. You play it, they draw a card. That end, right? And all these cards, mainly in green, splashing into white, are the foundation of these decks. Without them, you have no velocity. You are drawing one card a turn, and you cannot keep up at all and forget about coming back from any kind of disruption like a board wipe on your creatures is fine whatever but if somebody hits you with a farewell or an acroma's vengeance i don't know why people don't play tranquility in this format like anything that just mass removes enchantments you're done but when you have such a large swath of options that allows you to hold some in the tank and redeploy pretty quickly and that's what yep. sit this is all about it lends itself to that it is very important to that sweep. Timeline. 
there was a point in time, per my notes, that we could have floated our copies into the market, possibly. But that was before it tanked. And you would have had Oops. to have drop shipped them from TCG back to TCG to flip for profit. You could send them nowhere else, but basically back to the warehouse to have them sorted and placed back up. That was the racket. There was no buy list, nothing. The bottom fell out at CK very quickly. Nobody else really cared about this card. You would have had to just churn on TCG player. My expectation now that we're out of this with Tom Bombadil on the horizon, and I believe that comes out in Q3, right? It's probably going to be about there. So yeah. I think that's three months out. Oh, I just did not enter this date into my deck, into my notes. Sorry about that. Yep. Two months out. That is where I would expect us to just be able to start outing this thing at quantity back into the open market for profit. Based on the trend in CK's buy list, if we were to, to buy in now at about a dollar twenty, we can't quite flip back, but we're getting there. Credit is about a dollar five. So if CK continues to just lose quantity like I expect them to, as people buy into this, we will see the ability to turn these around in about three months. If you want to go back into the open market, probably a little bit sooner. But I don't really know what mar what kind of pressure March of the Machine is. March of the Machine is going to place on this card overall. It adds the additional synergies, like I said, but it's not the greatest thing ever. There's also yeah. Aftermath that could add a little bit of a wrinkle because we still don't quite know what's going on with that set. And I think this is also another one of those cards that is... Hmm, what's the right way to phrase this? Enchantress-based decks, or enchantment-based decks are not really the highlight of a lot of content creation. So there's yeah. not a lot of visibility on a lot of these cards. It's just the stalwarts that believe in it. But the moment this hits, the moment somebody decides to play Estrid on stream again and display the power of that suite and this card... I'm just going to draw a ton of cards. Yep, exactly. And, a ton, and draw a ton of attention. Yep. And that could speed up our timeline. My expectation is is three months provided there's nothing weird coming with Aftermath and spoilers for Lord of the Rings don't give us just like some kind of super hype for this card. So I think we're, we're in a really safe zone there. I don't expect the bottom to fall out again. And I, I'm, I'll cover this in Reaper Inequity, the next thing I was going to say. Yeah, so we're here. Yeah. Based on the flavor text of Sithis, Sithis is from Theros. And catching a first printing in Modern Horizons 2 instead of Theros Beyond Death, to me, says we won't see this reprinted in a standard set, and the only way we will see this is if Watsi decides to print another enchantment-based commander deck, a la the Estrid deck, which I was just mentioning, all the way back from the 2018 cycle. It's been five years. I don't think we'll see Enchantress as a theme in a supplemental draft product for some time, as it falls a bit flat if you can't get a number of the rare payoff spells. So my expectation is only in Commander, and the last time we saw it, and I believe the only time we saw it as a theme, was 2018. And that's it. It caught, like, Sithis wasn't out, Enchantress caught a little bit of fire in Commander because of the Estrid deck and content creation. The moment somebody goes back to that, it's like, hey, I got a bunch of cool stuff to play with out of March of the Machines, so let's throw Estrid on Cam. Boom. Yep. There you go. And because, like I said, locked to Theros, and we didn't get it, not coming back. I don't, I don't think we're going to see this card again. By quantity, I have two play sets from collection buying and opening MH2 packs. 
and I'm satisfied with that as I'm mainly looking to flip these back into the open market. If I was going to also look to shove the buy list, I'd pick up another two sets and sit on them. And I think that's how I would get into the black is just, just sit on them. I think that's a good way to do it. Um, I think too, you know, obviously the reprint equity is huge. Uh, and Seth, so Enchantress stuff just finds a way of dropping into not enchantment based sets. Obviously, yep. Theros was enchantment based, right? But periodically, we'll just, they'll drop a piece of candy in some commander list or something. So it's just going to take something like that for Sithis to get that creator bump, even if it's not just someone just naturally going back and saying, man, I just want to draw a bunch of cards. Let's yep. just call it a day. So I, I think this is probably one of the more comfortable specs for me of yours that I would just sit on and be fine with because they're not going to not print something relevant again at some point, right? Yeah, 100%. Not to mention just being tied so heavily to Theros, that does kind of hurt the reprint equity. Yeah. Because we got to go back there or get a secret layer where for some reason they decide to put this in there. Yeah. I, nobody's clamoring for a reprint as far as I know. No. I, I, I do want to mention, so you mentioned like pieces of candy for the Enchantress-based themes. A lot of people think they're kind of pillow forty, but you can definitely play like battle auras because you they sure print can. cards like uh, what is it? All that glitters. Is that out yeah. of Eldraine? It yeah. just pumps, pumps the creature for the number of enchantments you control. Like, yep. cool. That's an enchantment draw card. Like, it, it, it lends itself to... I don't think there's actually a single strategy in Commander that you could play that can't be found in this, in, in Enchantress, because it just allows you to just chain through. And there's so many yep. just random enchantments that you can uh, just plow through. Even down like Mana Bloom, which if you cast it for zero, bounces itself back to your hand, so you have an immediate yeah. redraw for the next turn to just keep it like chugging along. Exactly. Yeah. Like, yes. So many, so many options for this. And this is also, I think, the right time to start reevaluating Modern Horizons 2 for specs. I know, I think you had yeah. something not too long ago, so we, we touched on this again. And I, I believe we are in that area right now for some of these low-hanging fruit to, for, to just be, like, picked off as specs. It reminds me of, like, when Modern Horizons 2 came out and uh, Ed was like, oh, I'm Fallen Shinobi. I'm getting all the Fallen Shinobis yep, yeah. I can for a quarter. I don't care how many. And just, like, it was such a low-hanging fruit that, look, it's a ninja. That's a creature type that matters and is, really appeals to casual players. I'm going to buy hundreds of them and just sit on them because eventually... Yeah. They're going to do something, and sure enough, eventually it came up to be like a $5, $6 card. Mm -hmm. And you just got to laugh all the way to the bank off your quarters. Exactly. It's the dream we're all aspiring to. Yep, right. And, yeah, and I think this falls into that Sanctum Weaver is another one. You could probably go back and look like... Yep. If you go back and you look at my picks and you look for all the Enchantress stuff I talked about coming out of Modern Horizons 2, then I think you can go back and basically run through that list and just pick them all up. I think the only yeah. thing that's kind of out of reach so to speak, is Jukai Naturalist. It's an uncommon that costs like a dollar or two, and I, there's no way that that really accrues enough value to want to buy yeah. in at quantity like right now. I don't think so either. So That's where I am for this week. Dig it. Uh, I am also going to the EDH well, also with Mom. Mm -hmm. uh, I am picking Valiant Knight, the foils from Core 19. So obviously everyone's lost their mind about Kinsbale Cavalier, knowing that there is an Esper flavored knight deck coming out, which is real dumb 
because knights have been Mardu up until this point. But oh, whatever. I digress. I, hold, pause here because oh, I, we figured this out in the podcast Discord. It is solely the knights deck that is blocking the Orzov deck from including the blue cards in the main set with Incubate. If the knights yep. deck was Mardu, then the Orzov deck could be Esper, and you could have your Incubate cards from the main set playable in your commander themed deck. We figured that out the other day. Continue on. That's I have so, so much ire for this Knights deck. It is ridiculous. Good lord. All right. Go ahead. That's absurd. It, it, anyways. Uh, so this, speaking of low-hanging fruit, the foils are like barely $2 at this point, yeah. and it is a Knight Lord. Now worth mentioning, Kinsbale just straight up gives them double strike, whereas this you have to pay to get double strike. It does also double as a Lord. Mm-hmm. Now as far as quantity goes, look, throw like 15 20 bucks at this uh it's going to be an edh card you're never going to meet a guy that wants four you're, it's going to be one so be it one or ten somewhere in there is where i'd want to be at now similar to yours uh we're looking for a content creator bump because obviously mom is going to come out there's going to be people that are going to try the new decks and try to fool around with them and mess with them now worth noting this non-foil is in the deck there are a number of foils in that deck that are very accessible if someone wants to buy it and start suiting it up, so to speak, with better versions of cards. Yep. Kinsbale is kind of priced out of that, but there's a bunch of low-hanging fruit that are lords or like knights charge, stuff like that that's really good in it that has the opportunity. Mm-hmm. This is a prime example. So we're looking at mom release, not too far from now. I'd expect within the first two to three months after that, we'll get a content creator bump of some kind two night cards yeah not to mention with all of the eyes on kinsville cavalier there's all these other opportunities that people are missing out on similar to when jace got unbanned in modern everyone went on jace but if you'd gone in on dreadbore knowing that dreadbore killed jace back in the day you would have made a ton more money because the opportunity was there mm-hmm. this is just a prime example of that this appeals to your casual players this is not going to be in your cedh pots it's also something that people probably just don't care about until they get reminded that this card exists yeah now being at this price point obviously pretty affordable to pick up throw in a trade binder or something based on what we've seen with kinsbale which is like a 70 percent surge i'm not expecting anything like that i'm not expecting this card to double up but if you're picking up foils for about two dollars i would think it's not too terribly long before you could profitably double up in the open market uh if we get a content creator bump i could easily see this hitting three to four dollars for about a week or two and that's your opportunity to strike that's when you want to get out there and either dump to ck's buy list algorithm or just price it out on the open market yourself Mm -hmm. this is the kind of thing that just doesn't exist in people's trade binders it's too small yeah there's a lot of opportunity that you can just hey will you just throw this in sure whatever yeah kind of deal just bulked out at the end of that standard season yeah i it, it was something that just sat there and if you drafted it unlimited you probably felt terrible about it and uh you continue to feel terrible about it once you got rid of it for absolute dirt yep but this is the only foil printing of this card outside of the pre-release which nobody likes so I'd be sitting at, again, summation, probably about 10 copies. And we're looking at about three to four months, honestly, that we'd be wanting to move this stuff out. The other thing worth noting is that Knights may make an appearance when we come back to Ikoria. They weren't a tribe there before, but if we are keeping in theme with the big, dumb things, Knights hunt big, dumb things. 
we what may was... see an introduction to knights coming with Ikoria. I'm gonna look up something real quick from Eldraine. Okay, I was curious about Giant Killer. Is, is Giant Killer a knight? It is not. It what? is a human, which is the tribe, but its job is peasant. Oh, David and Goliath, I suppose. Yeah. Or yeah. Jack and the Jack Beanstalk, and the Beanstalk. whatever. Yeah, yeah fine. Yeah. Because that has very specifically, like, that kind of knight aura around it, which is the knight went out to slay the dragon, which is a big thing. Yeah. Um, this time uh, it's a giant. So, yeah. Um, there, there's that element to it, too, when you come back and you start giving knights that, abil that ability. What is what is Fiend Slayer Paladin? What was that errata to? Fiend Slayer Paladin is a knight. That's the generic color hoser, right? For, like, red and black. It can't be targeted. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that that is a knight. It was yes. it was the opposite of lifebane zombie. Um, yeah. But it has first strike and lifelink, which was okay, and that's it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so there's there's a lot of incidental exposure to knights here, and this is something that I think, you know, it's easy to catch onto the hive mind and go for Ken's Bale. It's the hot thing. It's the hot thing. It's the hot thing. Look, if you miss the boat on it, don't go chasing gains there. Spend a little bit of money in something like Valiant Knight, because look. You're going to spend 10, 20 bucks on it. That's fine. That's eat out one less night that week for the potential to double your money. I think it's fine. Yeah. There are also some people that didn't know about this card that built their own knights deck and are going to be looking to put <laughs> yeah. that card, this card in the deck. So you can capitalize on that too. Like, yep. It's not always worthwhile for somebody who's playing a tribe to go out and buy the commander deck that is that tribe or that job in this instance. Yeah. And instead, just source the pieces they're missing because they read through that list and they're like, oh, wow, that's a card I didn't know about or didn't have. It should be easier to find now in a binder or online. And the other thing worth mentioning is that knights don't have many lords. They're not merfolk. They're not elves, where you have all of these anthem-type effects Good out point. there. There's like four. Yeah, we have more human lords because that's the tribe rather than... we don't really... Or soldiers, because we had soldiers for decades. Oh, yeah, yeah. We haven't really unionized around knight. So, no. Yeah. It's like knight exemplar, kinsbill cavalier, this guy. Yeah, I did a, a bit of digging on Scryfall the other day. Um, not many creatures that are worthwhile have the text knight creatures you control which is a yeah. very specific wording from the uh, like prior to m10 era way of phrasing things that's what you yep. see on kinsblade cavalier and now it would just be knights other knights you, you control, you control. Yeah. yeah or knights you control and yeah it is just a uh, not really the hotness so to speak so you are missing out on that you have to do a lot of work on the edges to to build mm -hmm. up your squad and whenever you can find a lord like this, it is definitely a worthwhile. Um, it, uh, overall, I like this because it does re-up some of the work that I did on this card a while back was I bought a ton of this because I thought we would get more knight support. I thought in the sets coming after this, we would see a lot more knights, and we didn't. So my... I would certainly expect some for Lord of the Rings because there's knights there. Absolutely. Um, I, and I shoved on this. I don't know if I still have all of them, and if I did, I'd be very happy about it. If I don't, I would be remiss because at this point in time, it's f like free real estate. Because I'm pretty sure we talked yeah. about this forever ago, but not as like a, not as an actual pick, but like, hey, this is a weird card that costs bulk prices on TCG player. Yep. It's probably not the the worst idea to just grab a brick of them. Yeah. Am I remiss about the brick of what is it, time wipes or whatever from War of the Spock? spark that i bought no it's still not a bad wrath overall 
eventually I'll do something with just a single copy and it will all be worthwhile. Sarkin's unsealing. I got a collection the other day that had like a dozen of those. Yeah, I love <laughs> that. Those are free. Yep. <laughs> What's that meme? Just hand out free yep. real estate. Free real estate. Yep. Everyone gets it. I, st I still don't remember what that fucking card does. It, it's just a red enchantment with too much text. That's, it, that's all I know. That's why it's good. It's like Sunbird's Invocation. Yeah. That, that no fucking had, clue. No, that card had way too much text and was definitely worth it for a while. And then Watsy printed, printed it into the ground. Um, but going back to the night stuff, I think this is another good example of uh, a card to look at and then a trend to follow. There are a bunch yep. more knights, like you said, and you can definitely do some digging behind the hype of Kinsblade Cavalier, like you said. That's got all the smoke right now, and rightfully so. That card is great. The yep. only issue is that it's from Lorwyn, and its only reprint was in uh, dual deck Dragon Knights vs. Dragons? Yep. Yeah. And Knights vs. Dragons, yeah. That was... I don't know if it was one of the first ones or not, but um, those did not was. Yeah. do well as a product on the whole, the dual decks. No, they did not. So that's basically a population akin to zero. Yep. So it's, it has all the attention right now. There's a lot of work that can be done below below the surface. And one of the things that I wouldn't be surprised about while we're continuing, while I'm continuing to talk about this damn deck, is this is going to bring to the tribe, uh, the job, new eyes. Yep. New people are going to see the Tonight's deck, and they're going to see the Commander deck. They'll either read it online or they'll buy it, and they'll look at it, look at it and go... Black and white makes sense. Blue, what have you done for me lately here? And then they might branch out and go look at Wreck and say, what are people doing for Knights decks? And they'll see that Mardu is the best deck by a magnitude of like, or a factor of like eight or something like that. I was looking the other day. Yep. And if that happens and they eschew blue for red, then there's a very real chance that some of the ancillary red Knights that are also pseudo lords pick up yep as well so that there's an opportunity on the fringes there or there's some people that don't have the black and white knights that they want that are going to come in the commander product yeah so looking in looking at everything right now for this deck is definitely a place to be and if you want to look at valiant knight i think everything you said was a, a decent look overall avoid the non-foils because they're in the deck and then take a look at scryfall do some advanced searches take a look at rex see what people are doing in yep. even just the orzov version of knights see what is low-hanging fruit there so we can pick up there's a lot of uh you when akoria came out you made a pick about the uh the human legend one of your picks was was that thing right yeah yeah almost every knight is a human that's something else to note Yep. So there could be some interesting synergies there. This is another one in a series of your picks that is just like, here's something at the surface. There's some great margins here. Now take a dive and see what yep. else is here. And I think this is another good look for that. So anything else for this week? Nope. All right. So for at MTG Cabalcast on Twitter, Facebook, Patreon, and YouTube, I am at Halt. I am Reptar. You are at Thirsty Sizzler. And we'll see you next week.